0: Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. This is not so much a definition of faith as it is the declaration of what faith does. It is the substance of things that are hoped for. The word substance there has been translated in the New versions, the substantiating of the things that we hope for and the evidence. And that word has been translated conviction of the things not seen. I'm convicted of truths. Though I may not have seen them, I'm convicted of their existence. There is evidence for the existence of God. Causes me to believe in God Though I have never seen God The evidence of His existence creates that faith in my heart As we pointed out this morning There are many things we believe in that we don't and haven't seen We believe in the wind Though we haven't seen the wind We see the effects of the wind We see the trees that are bowing in its force. We see the leaves that are blowing. We see the dust that is being carried. You see the evidence of it. You can feel it. And we say, oh, that's a cold, biting wind. Or we say, oh, that's one of those warm Santanas, you know. And and you feel the wind. You see the evidence of it, and thus we believe in the wind, though we don't actually see the wind itself. Magnetic force. I believe in it. have never seen it. I see its effect as I bring opposite poles together and I watch them attract. And so I believe in the magnetic powers or the magnetic force, but I have never seen it. I see evidence of it. I see evidence of God. I feel the presence of God. I feel the power of God. I feel the love of God And I see the evidence of God's existence. And thus, faith, I believe in the existence of God. Though I've never seen God, yet I do not doubt His existence because of the evidence that is all around. Faith, the substantiating of the things that are hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Now here is evidence of what men have wrought by faith. And as he starts to, well, before he gets into it, he starts with just the creation of the world itself. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen We're not made of things which do appear. Interesting statement, especially from a scientific standpoint. The Bible said that God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters above the firmament be divided from the waters beneath the firmament. God said, let the earth bring forth herb yielding seed after its kind. God said. And so we believe that God spoke the seen world into existence so that the things which we do see were made out of things which do not appear. An example, really, of faith or an evidence, a faith substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So God took unseen things and made the material seen universe in which we live, the worlds. Now, Looking at that a little more closely, God made the world out of things that do not appear. We know that the universe, the worlds, are made up of atoms, which are invisible. We know they exist, but yet they are invisible so that all of the material things that we see are made up of things that cannot be seen. Of atoms, protons, electrons. And so, by faith, we believe that the worlds were formed by the Word of God so that the things which we do see, the things which appear, are made out of things which cannot be seen or do not appear. Fascinating statement. And now he begins to list those men of faith from the Old Testament. And he lists them in chronological order as far as their appearances in the Bible until you get to David and Samuel. And only there does he reverse the chronological order. So the first to appear in the scene of faith was Abel. And by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. In other words, the example speaks to us today of Abel who offered his sacrifice to God through faith. And it was because of his faith that he was declared by God to be righteous. Now, there's been a lot made over the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. How that Cain, being a farmer, brought the fruit of the ground unto the Lord. Probably brought some of his produce that he had cultivated. Whereas Abel, being a husbandman, brought a lamb unto God as a sacrifice. And when they offered their sacrifices unto the Lord, the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's. Now, just how this was demonstrated, we do not know. But when Cain saw that his offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted, he was angry with the Lord for rejecting his offering. And the Lord said unto him, Why are you angry that your offering was rejected? If it was rejected, it was because sin lies at your door. And declaring, basically, that if it were offered properly, it would have been accepted if his heart was right. There has been a lot made over the fact that one was a blood sacrifice and the other was not a blood sacrifice, but a offering of the fruit of the ground. And many have suggested that that is the reason why God accepted Abel's because he offered a blood sacrifice and rejected Cain's because it was really the product of the works of his own hands that he brought to the Lord. And a lot has been made over that, but in the commentary here in Hebrews, it tells us the reason why one was rejected and the other was accepted is one was offered in faith and the other was offered not with faith. Just the works of man's hands. Now, there are those today who offer in faith and there are those today who offer works for righteousness. There are those who seek to be righteous by their faith in the Lord, those who seek to be righteous by their works. The interesting thing to me is that When God inaugurated the sacrifices and all through Moses, there was the meal offering which was acceptable to God. It was the bringing in of the grain that you had grown, grinding it into flour, making little cakes and baking them and offering them unto the Lord as a peace offering unto God. or it was actually the uh, burnt offering, the, sac- uh, the uh, <laughs> an offering that indicated the consecration of my service unto God. The meal offering it was called. Uh, so that uh, it was an offering that was Perfectly legitimate, an offering that expressed uh, sort of a communion with God, as did the uh, peace offering. But here he was, seeking communion with God when sin was in his heart. God said, first deal with the sin. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said that if a man comes to the altar and realizes that his brother has ought against him, he ought to first go to his brother and reconcile their differences and then come and offer your gift unto the Lord. Many times a person is trying to shortcut his, himself into fellowship with God. Not, first of all, realizing that it is sin that has alienated me from God. And before I can really have any kind of communion or fellowship with God, the sin issue must be dealt with. That was Abel's failure to deal with the sin issue and God put the finger on it. He said, if your offering is rejected, it's because sin is at the door of your tent. Take care of that first and then come and offer your gift unto the Lord. And so one Abel offered in faith and was accepted. Testimony of his righteousness. And early in the history then God is testifying of righteousness through faith. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What a great testimony. Here's a man that declares he pleased God. That's the very purpose of our existence. To bring pleasure to God. In the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. In the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Where John sees the cherubim about the throne of God. Worshipping the Lord. Declaring the holiness and the eternal character of God. The 24 elders fall on their faces before the throne. They take their crowns and cast them on the glassy sea, and they say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. A basic fact of your existence. You were created for God's pleasure a person who lives for their own pleasure is living out of sync with God. And it is interesting how that a person living for their own pleasure is constantly pursuing pleasure. Constantly trying to find something new, something different, some new sensation. Enoch had the testimony that he pleased God. Now we are told, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the witness of faith. It was through faith that Abel was declared righteous by the Lord and accepted by God. Through faith, Enoch, as he walked with God, was translated that he should not see death. But before then, he had this witness. He pleased God. And how did he please God? Through his faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you first of all have to believe in the existence of God but then you have to believe that God is good. God rewards those who diligently seek him. The next example is that of Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Up until the time of Noah, it had never rained upon the earth. The earth was watered by a mist that came up out of the ground every evening there was no doubt a very heavy moisture blanket around the earth as God divided the waters above the firmament from the waters beneath the firmament. And this heavy water blanket in the atmosphere no doubt accounted for the discoveries in the geological stratas of ferns, asparagus ferns, 60, 70 feet tall. Probably accounted for the longevity of life, average 900 years or so. For the moisture blanket shielding the earth from much of the cosmic radiation which causes the mutations in the cells and the breakdown and the aging process. And so the period of the antediluvians with a long life, with the tremendous growth of plants and trees, they had never seen rain before. But God said that he was going to cause it to rain upon the earth. Forty days and forty nights. Most, I mean Noah tried to warn the people of the impending flood that was going to come. And they mocked him. For a hundred years he was building this giant ship out in an area that had never known rain. Preacher of righteousness. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with reverence, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Again, the whole idea here in the chapter is That it is through faith that a person is accounted righteous before God. It is believing in God that is the most important. Not my works, they follow. Works will logically, automatically follow my faith. But works cannot produce faith, nor can they substitute for faith. Faith does work. I cannot say, well, I believe this with all of my heart without my life conforming to what I believe. There's got to be that conformity, but faith has to come first. My faith in God provokes my works for God. Now, Noah condemned the world by his belief and faith in God. And he became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham and Sarah. By faith Abraham, first of all, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God First said to Abraham, get out of this place, out of the land of your fathers and go unto a land that I will show you. Now, oftentimes as God is leading us, he leads us just one step at a time and that's our problem. I don't like being led one step at a time. If he tells me to get out, I want him to tell me where to go. I like two steps, or three, or four. I like him to spell out the whole thing. Maybe I don't want to do (laughs) what he's got in mind when we get down the road. God said to Philip, the Holy Spirit said to Philip in Samaria, go down to the Gaza, that desert area. That's all. Here he's in the midst of a great revival. Many Samaritans are believing, being baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord commands him to leave this marvelous move of the Spirit and go down to this desert place, go down to Gaza. And so Philip went. Of course, he had two steps. The Lord said, go. And he said, where? To Gaza. Abraham only had one. The Lord said, go. (laughs) Get out of the land. And so Abraham began to journey not knowing where he was going. Hey, where are you? Go ahead, fellow. I don't know. You mean you're moving your whole family and you don't know where you're going? Yeah. Well, if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you get there? Oh, he'll tell me. So by faith Abraham, when he was called to go... Out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So here, when he came to the land and he stood on Bethel, Center of the land, good vantage point. God said, look to the north, the east, the south, and the west. Far as you can see, Abraham. I've given you this land and to your seed forever. It's yours. And so he journeyed through the land. He went down to Hebron. Back up to the area of Shechem. But he was as a stranger and a pilgrim there. He lived in tents. He didn't build any cities. He didn't build any homes. He just lived in tents. Though the whole land was his. By the promise of God. Yet he dwelt in it as a stranger. For he was looking. For the eternal city of God, a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, as we read these people of great faith and we see that they made their mark in history because of their faith. And Sarah comes on the scene and her faith is spoken of that in her old age, she was plus 90, had never had a child. And yet she received strength to conceive seed and bore the son, though she was past age, because she judged him faithful. You remember, though, that Sarah's faith wasn't always so Perfect. I think that a lot of times as we read of these people of faith, we sort of think them out of our category. They're sort of super saints and uh, I can never attain to that. But when the Lord was talking to Abraham concerning his son that he was going to give to him, Abraham said, "Oh Lord, let Ishmael live before thee. And the Lord said, I will bless Ishmael and make of him a nation. But Sarah is going to bear a child, and through Sarah shall thy seed be called. Well, she was eavesdropping over in the tent, listening to what the Lord was saying to Abraham. And when the Lord said to him, "Through Sarah shall your seed be called," she started laughing. I mean, that's incredulous, you know. And so the angel Lord said, "Why did Sarah laugh?" And she said, "Well, I wasn't laughing, but uh, <laughs> it was significant when the child was born. They named him Laughter, Isaac, which means laughter." because they laughed at how incredulous it seemed that Sarah should conceive in her old age and bear a son. Therefore there sprang even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars in the sky in multitude, and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. So there sprung forth from Abraham an innumerable host of people. These all died in faith. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you supposed to die in faith? I thought if you had enough faith, you wouldn't die. Just have enough faith, you'll never be sick. Just have enough faith, you can drive any kind of car you want. Live in any kind of a home you want. If you just have enough faith. Now these all died in faith. The faith message had not reached them yet. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Or the promises. That is, the promises of the Messiah that God had given to them. They believed in God's salvation, that he promised that he would provide. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were persuaded of them and they held on to them, embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so they had the proper attitude towards the world. The proper perspective of life. I'm only a stranger and a pilgrim here. I'm satisfied to dwell in a tent. This isn't my home. I'm passing through. I'm just a transient here. I'm looking for my permanent home. I'm looking for my dwelling with God in His eternal kingdom. And so they saw the promises. They were given the promises of the kingdom of God. Abraham looked for that city which had foundation, whose maker and builder was God. He was looking for the kingdom of God. And confessing that I'm not permanent here. I'm just passing through. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim to this earth. I belong to the heavenly kingdom. I'm a citizen of that heavenly kingdom. And so they saw the promises. They were persuaded Of the truth of the promises They embraced or held on to the promises And they made their confession Of I'm just a stranger and a pilgrim here For they that say such things declare plainly That they are seeking for a country Now truly if they had been mindful of that country From whence they came out They might have had opportunity to have returned When he came to Haran He could have turned around and gone back into Babylon. Can always turn back. But they journeyed on in obedience to God. Now they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city this is interesting. God is not ashamed to be called their God. It, it, it may indicate that God is ashamed that some people call Him God and the way that people act, I wouldn't blame Him. I pray that I'll never be an embarrassment to God. I'm afraid I have been. I'm afraid that I have done things that embarrassed God in a sense that, you know, people said, oh, well, you know, he's a minister of God and and God was sort of ashamed that I should be so identified now by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. And here is some outstanding insight on the story of Abraham offering up his son Isaac to the Lord. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said the gospel that I declared unto you. How that Christ died according to the scriptures. And was buried according to the scriptures. And rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He, of course, was referring to the Old Testament scriptures. Now, we know that there was predicted in the Old Testament the death of Christ. Isaiah 53... Numbered with the transgressors in his death. Psalm 22, soul poured out to death. We know that the scriptures prophesied he would be buried and he made his grave with the rich. But where in the Old Testament is there a prophecy of his rising again the third day? It was prefigured in Jonah. Jonah. And Jesus brought that out, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But where in the Scripture, the Old Testament, does it speak of the resurrection after three days? And we go to the story of Abraham, where God said unto Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. And offer him as a sacrifice in the place that I will show you. Now, a lot of people from the secular world take this particular story to put down the Bible and to put down God. What kind of a God is he that would require a man to offer his Son as a human sacrifice. And because they only read the story in a cursory manner, they are confused and they ridicule such a God that would require such a thing of a man. Take now thy son, thine only son, God said. Was Isaac his only son? No, he had another son by Hagar named Ishmael, who was some 13 years older than Isaac. But as God said, through Isaac shall thy seed be called. So that God did not recognize Abraham's work of the flesh. He only recognized that work of the Spirit, the son of promise, Isaac. Again, we usually in our minds picture Isaac because of the Sunday school papers that we had of being maybe eight to ten years old. And so we see this hundred-year-old Abraham, 108 at this time, leading this little eight-year-old boy Towards Mount Moriah where he's going to offer him as a human sacrifice unto God. The idea being of God asking Abraham to give the most cherished possession that he had to him. Testing of Abraham, will you hold back anything from me, Abraham? Now we are told, the age of the child, Isaac was probably 27 years old by this time not leading a little boy. Uh, The scripture would indicate that he's in his 20s, late 20s probably, at this point. So that means Abraham was probably 125 or so by this time. And Isaac, being in the prime of his youth, could have easily overpowered his dad and said, okay, dad, that's enough, you know, what's going on here, you know. Isaac was willingly submissive to the father's will. For three days they journeyed from Hebron. And in the mind of Abraham for those three days, his son Isaac was dead because he knew that God had required that he offer him as a sacrifice in the place that he would show him. After three days, the Lord showed to Abraham Mount Moriah. And so Abraham said to the servants, You wait here, I and the lad will go and will worship God and will come again. There is employed in that particular text what is known grammatically in the Hebrew as a polysyndeton, That is the repetition Of the word and over and over you find and, 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 which in the grammatical structure indicates a continued deliberate action. No hesitation, just the movement, continued and deliberate. But it is interesting, I and the lad will go and will worship God and will come again. He's declaring that Isaac's going to come back with me. Now, Abraham figures God's got a problem. Because God has said, Through Isaac shall thy seed be called. Isaac has not yet had any children. Isaac has to have children because God has to keep his word. Now, I don't know how God's going to do it. I know God will do it. I know that God's word is faithful. God's word is true. God will keep his word. And God has said, now offer Isaac. So I'll offer Isaac. But somehow God's got to work some kind of a miracle because Isaac doesn't have any children yet. And through Isaac, the nation is to be developed. Thy seed be called. So he believed, notice, he believed that God would God was able to raise him up really from the dead. He believed in the resurrection. God's able to raise this boy up from the dead if necessary to keep his promise to me through Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he was going on sheer faith in the word of God through Isaac shall the seed be called. I'll do it. God has to do something. Raise him from the dead or something because I and the lad will go and we will come again. And so as Isaac was... With his father now, the two of them, walking towards Moriah. Isaac said, Father, here is the wood, and we've got the fire. But where's the sacrifice? You're forgetting something, Dad. And Abraham said, Son, the Lord will provide himself. A sacrifice. Interesting prophecy. He'll not provide a sacrifice for himself. He will provide himself a sacrifice. And When they came to Mount Moriah, Abraham bound Isaac and put him on the altar, raised the knife, and God said, Okay, far enough, Abraham, hold it. I know that you will not withhold anything from me. Behold, there's a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. Offer it on the altar. And so Abraham took the ram and offered it on the altar. And he called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. And then he prophesied, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah sees. The word is Jehovah has vision. We Translate it, Jehovah will provide. Well, the word provide, the, the base word of provide is vision. Provision. With God, there's very little difference between vision and provision. God sees, God's going to take care of it. The Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. All right, take now thy son, thine only son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. As Isaac was three days and three nights dead in the mind of his father, so Jesus, three days and three nights before His resurrection. Interesting, coincidental, it was on Mount Moriah where the cross was placed upon which Jesus died. The Mount of the Lord. Where Abraham offered his son Isaac 2,000 years later, God offered his only begotten son. And God provided himself a sacrifice for our sins. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, if we did not have Hebrews to give us a commentary on the story of Abraham, we too could be confused at God's demands. But we read here that it was through absolute faith in the Word of God that Abraham was willing to go through this whole experience. Believing so powerfully in the Word of God That he knew that God would, if necessary, raise Isaac from the dead in order that he might fulfill his word through Isaac, shall thy seed be called. So, accounting that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, he was an impossible child anyhow. He was a miracle child. His birth was long beyond any natural possibility for birth. And so he was, in a sense, received from the dead, a miracle child to begin with. And he knew that God, having given him by a miracle, could also by a miracle sustain him until the promise of God was fulfilled through Isaac. Continuing down now through history, by faith, Isaac... Blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both of the sons of Joseph and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. So following the family line, the faith of the father Abraham passed on to Isaac, who by faith blessed his two sons, Jacob and Esau, and prophesied of the things to come. By faith then, Jacob himself blessed his sons and the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And now, by faith, Joseph, when he was about ready to die, He was in Egypt, had great authority and power in Egypt. But he knew that one day the people of God must go back and possess the land that God had promised to Abraham. He knew that they weren't going to be in Egypt forever. And so he made them promise, now when you return to the land, I want you to take my bones out of Egypt. And take them back to the land. And so knowing God's word was to be fulfilled. That the land would one day be theirs. Some 300 years later after the death of Joseph. When the children of Israel began their trek from Egypt to the promised land. With them they carried the mummy of Joseph to bury it in the land of promise. By faith, Moses, moving on ahead now, the jump of several hundred years here. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. The Pharaoh had commanded that all of the Hebrew boys be thrown in the Nile River, drowned. For he was afraid that the Hebrews, because they were having so many children, would become a threat to the security of Egypt as they began to multiply more rapidly than the Egyptians. He could foresee the day when they would be stronger and overthrow the Egyptians and make the Egyptians their slaves. And so he ordered all of the baby boys to be drowned in the Nile. When Moses was born, by faith his parents hid him. They disobeyed the order of the Pharaoh. They saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come of age which in this particular case was 40 years old. Having been schooled in the schools of Egypt, in the sciences, the arts, Moses, having been raised in the Pharaoh's palace, having been adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, having at his disposal all of the riches of Egypt, all of the glory of Egypt, by faith Moses when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. but chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made a very interesting choice. He could have just gone on as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and enjoyed through his lifetime the pleasures of sin, but that would have been a very short time. Though he lived to be 120, still short. In comparison to the fact that he's been gone for 3,700 years now, but he chose rather to identify himself with God's people, suffering the affliction of God's people, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He realized that the pleasures of sin are not lasting. You may give yourself over to indulgence. You may find great pleasure and excitement in the indulging of your flesh, but it doesn't last. It grows old quickly. And so Moses made the choice. A wise choice indeed. For he esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches... Than the treasures in Egypt. And so, on the one side, you have the son of Pharaoh's daughter with all of the glory of the royal palace. You have the riches of Egypt at your disposal. On the other side, you have the affliction of the people of God, the reproach of Christ. You have The immediate advantage and the eternal advantage to choose. Moses wisely chose the eternal over the immediate. God give us that kind of wisdom. That in our choices we'll take eternity into view. That we will not just take that which seems to be so exciting and temporarily beneficial. But that we'll look and find out where the path leads. What is the end of the story? What is the end of the path? And Moses, by faith, chose the path of suffering and affliction over the path of ease and glory. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, really greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, because he had respect. Unto the recompense of the reward. Because he looked at the eternal aspect. The eternal reward. The eternal reward of following Jesus Christ. The eternal reward of, of living for Him. So far outweighs any temporal advantage that I might have in living after the flesh. And by faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The secret of his endurance that ability to see God to see the work of God and the hand of God. And if I can see the hand of God in my hour of suffering if I can see the hand of God in the moment of trial or affliction, then I can endure. When I start to get weak and I start to question, I start to say, Why God? If I can only just come to the realization that all things are working together for good to those that love God, that God has a purpose, and when I can see God Then I can endure. I can say, well, God, I don't understand, but you've got a reason and a plan. And I endure as seeing the invisible. Seeing Him who is invisible. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Seeing Him. Through faith, He kept the Passover. The final plague upon the Egyptians was to be the death of the firstborn of every child I mean, the death of the firstborn child of every family in Egypt. The Lord said, I'll pass through the land this night. And the firstborn in every house will be slain. Command the children of Israel that they take a lamb out of their flock of the first year. Kill it and put the blood in a basin and with hyssop sprinkle the blood upon the lintels and on the doorpost. Sprinkling on the lintels and the doorpost, interestingly enough, will give you the sprinkling in the shape of a cross. God said, when I pass through the land tonight and when I see the blood, I will pass over that house and the firstborn will be spared. The lamb sacrificed For the house. The substitutionary lamb. Preserving the firstborn. The lamb dying in the stead of the firstborn. And there we get a very beautiful picture. Of the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. The lamb of God. Who died in our place. That we might have life. And so by faith he kept the Passover. Lest the destroying Of the firstborn should touch them By faith They passed through the Red Sea As on dry land And the Egyptians attempting to do it were drowned Moving ahead The successor to Moses was Joshua And by faith The walls of Jericho fell down After they were compassed about for seven days In the city of Jericho There lived a woman whose name was Rahab who had received the spies that Joshua had sent and who delivered them from the inhabitants of Jericho. And by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now, the author says, what more can I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. Now we're in the book of Judges. Barak, Samson, Jephthah. These are all men from the book of Judges who became judges of Israel and who through their faith delivered the children of Israel from their enemies. Going on from the book of Judges to David, interesting to me that David doesn't get much mention here. Just his name listed. And then Samuel. And as I said, this is the only place where the the chronological order is broken. Samuel is listed after David. And so that's the only break in the chronology. And the writer probably was in his mind just taking from the beginning the men of the Old Testament who by faith Their lives were made outstanding. Now here's what they did through faith. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions, probably referring to Daniel. They quenched the violence of fire, probably referring to the three Hebrew children Delivered from the fiery furnace. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight. And they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead. Raised to life again. Now this is the first section. And the first section is pretty much powerful, positive kind of uh, reactions and responses to their faith. These These are the positive sides to faith. The subduing of kingdoms, obtaining the promises, stopping the mouths of lions, quenching the violence of fire, made strong out of their weakness, waxed valiant in fight, Turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Women receiving their dead to life again. But the man of faith can also know defeat and discouragement. Being a man of faith doesn't mean that you're always going to have healing. You're always going to have victory. You're always going to drive a Maserati. You're never going to have any trouble. Because as it goes on, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Their faith caused them to make their stand firm for God and they were tortured for their faith. It is possible for a person to be victorious over the enemy to wax valiant in battle, to subdue the aliens, but it is also possible for the man of faith to be tortured for his faith. God doesn't always deliver those who believe and trust in Him. And we mustn't think of God, if I trust in Him, He will surely deliver me. And this is the fallacy of this faith teaching today. It looks at only the first half of the list and ignores the second half of the list. But that isn't reality. Through faith, they believed to the point of not accepting deliverance. They were tortured. This happened to the early church. James was beheaded by Herod. Stephen was stoned to death. Men of faith, and yet men who were tortured for their faith, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. It's better to have a resurrection unto eternal life than resurrection unto damnation. And that they might have that better resurrection unto eternal life. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned as was Zechariah and also thought Jeremiah. They were sawn asunder or sawed in two. Isaiah, that marvelous prophet that we've enjoyed, his revelations. Manasseh, the evil son of Hezekiah, ordered him sawed in two. Great man of faith. Marvelous spiritual insights. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. Quite a statement, a remarkable statement concerning these men. The world wasn't worthy of them. And yet, what things they endured as the result of their faith in God. So, your faith in God is not always going to bring you tremendous triumph and victory over the enemy. But your faith in God will sustain you through any of exigency that you lo- might face in life. That's the thing. Do I have the faith, the quality of faith that endures? I like the faith that brings me over the top, that brings me the victory, that subdues <laughs> the aliens, and I like that. But I am also interested that I have that faith that will see me through the hardships, the sufferings, the testings. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, in dens, caves of the earth, Elijah. And these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. Though they all believed. And here is the good report of them. Yet though they died in faith they did not receive the promise. God having provided some better thing for us. That they without us. Should not be made perfect. They all died in faith. Believing the promise that God would indeed send. His. Salvation. Through his son. They all believed that there would be made the provision for their sins by God. God had promised. That this should be. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to a, our own ways. But God will lay on him the iniquities of us all. And they believed the promise of God. That he would provide salvation. And they died believing that promise of God. But yet. In their death they did not enter into the kingdom of God. and Into that eternal Glory. The sacrifices that they made were all made in faith as they looked forward to the sacrifice that God would one day make when He would send His only begotten Son. But the sacrifices they made could not put away sin. All they did was point to the future when God would provide the perfect sacrifice through His only begotten Son. So when they died, they did not enter into the heavenly kingdom. But they had to wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled. In Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter, Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who fared sumptuously every day. And there was a poor man that was brought daily and laid at his gate covered with sores, and the dogs would come and lick his sores. And he would eat the scraps of food that were thrown to him from the rich man's table. And it came to pass that the poor man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Moreover, also the rich man died. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus there being comforted in Abraham's bosom said Father Abraham send Lazarus to me that he might take his finger and dip it in water and touch my tongue for I am tormented in this heat. And Abraham said son do you remember that in your lifetime you had the good things and Lazarus the evil now he is comforted while you are tormented and beside this There is a gulf that is fixed between us. So it's impossible for those that are here to come over there or for those that are there to come over here. He responded, I pray thee then, if if he cannot come to me, please send him back to warn my brothers that they don't come to this awful place. Abraham said they have the law and the prophets. If they will not believe the law and the prophets, neither would they believe, even though one came back from the dead. Jesus taught that prior to his death, hell was divided into the two compartments. Those who were being comforted by Abraham. Lazarus being comforted in Abraham's bosom. Abraham, the father of those who believed as those who would follow the faithful steps of Abraham would die and would come into this compartment of hell. Abraham said, don't worry, God's faithful. He promised and he'll send his son. He'll send the Savior. You know, we'll get out of here. Isaiah, the 61st chapter in the prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God. But he said, I came to open the prison to those that were bound, setting the captive free. So we are told that when Jesus died for our sins, he descended into hell. And he preached, according to Peter, to those souls that were in prison. Now he came to set the prisoner free and to open the doors to those that were captive. So that when Jesus rose, Matthew's gospel tells us in the 27th chapter, the graves of many of the saints were open and they were seen walking around the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection. Paul tells us, And when He ascended, He led the captives from their captivity. For He who ascended is the same one that first of all descended into the lower parts of the earth. And when He ascended, He led the captives from their captivity. He fulfilled that portion of the promise. He emptied that part of hell. Now they all died in faith, not having received the promise. They didn't die and enter into the kingdom of God, but they died and entered went with Abraham being comforted by the man of faith that God would indeed keep his promise and be faithful to his word. And when Jesus came, he declared deliverance to the captive. I've done it. Sin is now put away. The sacrifice is complete. We're going to break out of here. And he led the captives from their captivity Opened the prison doors to those that have been bound And it is through Jesus Christ That the door has been made open into heaven So as Jesus said to Martha Grieving over her brother Lazarus If you live and believe in me you'll never die Or oh, you'll be changed, yes, in a moment In a twinkling of an eye Death is a metamorphosis. My spirit moves out of this old tent into the new house, the building of God not made with hands, that's eternal in the heavens. While living in this tent, I often groan, earnestly desiring to be free. Not that I would be unenclothed, an unclothed or unembodied spirit, but I want to be clothed upon with a body which is from heaven. For I know that as long as I'm living in this body, I'm absent from the Lord. But I would choose rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, it's necessary for your sakes that I remain. Again, in writing to the Corinthians, he said, There was a man in Christ about 14 years ago. And whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But he was caught up to the third heaven. And there he heard things that if I tried to describe them in human language, it would be a crime. So glorious were the things. They defy description. This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. That's what death is to the child of God. The sting is gone. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Jesus has removed the sting of death by taking away our sin. And thus, for the child of God, it's the glorious coronation day. This robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to the everlasting prize. Oh, what glorious hope we have in Christ. Now, these of the Old Testament, theirs was a different case. They all died in faith, not having received the promise, for you see, God provided some better thing for us. They, without us, could not come into that complete state. Actually, they, without the finished work of Christ, could not enter in. To the kingdom of God. It was only through that finished work of Christ. Where was the door opened As he preached to the souls in prison. And led them from their captivity. But now. Ours is the victory. We enter in. To the glorious promise of God. And to be absent from this body. Is to be present with the Lord. Shall we pray. Thank you, Father, (laughs) for all that you have done for us. For that goodness, for the blessings, for the richness that is ours through Jesus Christ. For the promises and for the hope, O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. How excellent are your works towards us, your children. Lord, we thank you for the gift of faith. That you have given to each man a measure of faith. And Lord, we pray that you will continue the work of your spirit within our hearts. As we yield ourselves to you. To walk in fellowship with you Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ To live in that hope of eternal life in and through him Looking forward to that day When we shall be changed And fashioned like unto his own glorious image According to the mighty power of the spirit of God That even works in our lives today Lord, we believe and we trust and we know that your word is sure. That though heaven and earth may pass away, your word is something you will keep forever. Thank you, Lord, for the unchanging promises upon which our souls are anchored this evening through Jesus Christ. Amen. I suppose your name will ever get listed in this hallmark of faith that God has. (laughs) How I thank God for the work of His Spirit as He helps us In our weaknesses. That I rely not upon. My faithfulness. My work. My ability. But upon his faithfulness. His work. I know he's able. May the Lord be with you. And strengthen you. And bless you. And keep you in all your ways. As you walk in fellowship with him. May your life be enriched in the fullness of that mercy and grace that he has extended towards us through Jesus, our Lord. God bless you and give you a beautiful week. Strengthened by the Lord, may you abound in all things in Christ to the glory and the praise and the honor of our God, our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus name.